0: Good morning and welcome everyone. We're so glad that you're here and um, it's just wonderful. Um, there's also people here online and we welcome all of you. By the way, if you are online and you would have some, any questions or you would like some prayers, we have some hosts that are waiting throughout the service. All you have to do is click on request prayer and you'll go into a private chat with them. So now for our call to worship, if you wouldn't mind rising in body or in spirit. We're going to hear a word from God. Our call to worship today comes from the words of Jesus in John chapter 4. He spoke to the Sumerian woman that he encountered at the well. He told her, the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So now we're going to engage in worshiping our Father. We're going to do the true worship before the God in the power of his spirit and resting in the truth of who Jesus is, our Savior and our King. Let's lift our voices. i Amen. Thank you, God, for all that you've done for us. So we have a scripture reading, and it comes from um, Christ, Christ's prayer to the Father in John 17. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. In them and in me, that may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. May we behold Jesus Christ in his glory today and be shaped more like him that we might show those around us the love. deserve all the glory. We just want to magnify your name today and thank you so much for all that you have done for us. Lord, at this time, I just want to also lift up people around the world that are suffering. If it's a virus, if if it's a war, if it's division, Lord, I just pray that you will help to heal the hurt, help to keep them safe, help them to Feel your love and your protection. Lord, I just offer that up to you that you will help all of them, and even more so that they will know that it's you. Let them come to you, Lord. I give them up to you, dear Heavenly Father. And I want to thank you for everyone here today and everyone online that you will also open up our hearts and our minds, that we will hear your word and learn what you want us to learn today from you. We give it up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Well, good morning, Springbrook friends and family. My name is Rebecca Suarez, and it is my pleasure to welcome you here this morning. If you're here with us in person... Um, Thank you for joining us. In each row of seats, there is a connection card. If you are a first or second time attendee with us, please consider filling that out so that we can get to know you better and so that we can find ways to connect with you. Um, If you are here in person, we have little drop boxes in the back that you can drop those in at the end of the service. For those of you online, we also have an online connection card. If you would take a second to fill that out, we would be so grateful. Let's take a look at some of the things going on at Springbrook. We now have um, Springbrook is on YouVersion the Bible app. It's amazing. It's really cool. If you have a chance, I'll give you a break right now if you guys want to pull out your phones, grab a a quick scan of that QR code that will bring up Springbrook. We have plans that you can be a part of each week. They're going to correlate with our um, sermon or with events and activities going on here. So it's just another way for us to kind of group together, connect and um, grow in our faith. And also we have serving opportunities coming up. We're knee-deep in summer right now. God has given us an amazing day today, not too hot. It is awesome. So praise God for such a beautiful day. Um, but we do have serving opportunities coming up. Right now, we're in full, full-on prayer for things like our Kids City. We're looking to expand the 9 o'clock service so that more kids can come into that, more families can attend that. We're looking to expand our facilities and our guest services as well. So if you have an interest in serving, please do visit springbrook.org serve to find out more. Also, if you have not yet downloaded the new uh, Springbrook app, shame on you. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, It really is awesome, though. If you have the old app, um, you will not believe the difference. This one is so helpful. There's so so many resources available. It'll keep you updated. It's going to give you notifications. It's wonderful. It's a good, good resource to check back on during the week just to see what we're doing and what's going on and to see where you can get involved and feel connected. So if you haven't downloaded yet, text Springbrook app to 77977. And finally, um, each Sunday, if we don't have a baptism or communion coming uh, or on that Sunday, we like to do our Springbrook stories. So we have one of those to share with you this morning. If you are sitting in the audience or you're online and you're going to be in person and you want to do one of your stories, please do consider um, contacting somebody here at Springbrook. We sure would love to learn more about you and to kind of just have your, your, your faith story, your testimony, just to hear what God's doing in your life would be a wonderful opportunity for you to share that with us. So before Rich comes out, let's watch this video and learn more about Michael and Christina Woody.
2: My name is Mike Woody.
3: Hi, I'm Christina Woody.
2: We've been coming to Springbrook since December of this past year. Uh, Prior to that, I was a pastor of a small church out in Greenwood, which is north of Woodstock. And uh, we were there for almost 20 years we felt the Lord was calling us to move to Tennessee uh, to go help in a small church plant. And so we were going to go down, but we had this period of time in the middle. When we came here, we were really wanting to understand what a small group ministry was. We, we felt there were things that we, we could learn just understanding how did Springbrook do small groups for me, as a pastor, I was looking to understand how are they organized, what is the content, what's, what, what's any oversight that, that gets utilized, and what, what is it that makes it tick? Well, how does it keep going? How does it not just dwindle and die?
3: I learned that these ladies don't just study the Bible and just show up and then leave, and after doing their homework, they, they share their hearts, they share their lives with each other inside that group. So they're more open and they're more vulnerable with each other than I've ever seen in any other church in my life. Like I can be vulnerable and open with my husband or my mom or my best friend, but these ladies were my best friend. I use one of my husband's favorite quotes, we were digging
2: for potatoes.
3: we weren't just scratching the surface. So they were deep, deep lessons.
2: I found a group where the, the comments by others were as challenging to me as anything that could have been brought to me by a a pastor or anybody else. Because those individuals are just as enabled by the Spirit of God as I am to discern truth and make application to our lives. We fell in love with all the
3: people here. We started ministering as soon as we could. It meant a lot to us that you allowed us to do that, to be on the First Impressions team to be door greeters, to join your small groups, ministries, um, and not just be pew warmers. I know you don't have pews, you have chairs. But thank you so much for just allowing us to get involved in this church.
2: What we really found was we we found a home. Uh, We found brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, I found people that made lasting impacts upon me. We got to give back to you, but as I shared with others today, we received far more than we could have given. And I would say that the, I think the reason that happened for us is that we, we, didn't, we didn't want to sit on the sidelines for, for six months. Uh, we came, we wanted to get involved. We wanted to serve if we could. We wanted to do anything and everything that we could to help the work of the Lord advance. My encouragement is, if if you're ever wondering why you're not getting as much out of church, I would just say, throw yourself into it with reckless abandon and allow God to fill you up. And as I told another today, he did. My cup every week runs over because I'm getting more than I'm ever giving every week.
4: That great story. I had an opportunity to, uh, to talk with our viewers online this morning about how important relationships are to us at Springbrook. We have 60% of our adults at Springbrook that are connected to a small group. And so if you're not in a small group at Springbrook, then you're part of the 40% that are not connected in that way. And so it was so encouraging to be able to hear uh, Michael and Christina share uh, their story about how connected they felt. That's what it's about, being a part of the body of Christ is about being connected vertically to God and horizontally to one another. And I was so... Uh, excited about uh, the work that God did in and through them while they were here. In fact, uh, the conversations—you uh, know—they just moved to Tennessee, and I was a part of me was hoping that they would feel God calling them to stay here. But we uh, were able to send them off, uh, just knowing that God's got great things in store for them there. But I just want to encourage you uh, with these words: No more moving. <laughs> People need Jesus in this community. You know, we are excited about what God's doing here. And so the grass is always greener. But we are so grateful uh, for the fact that you are here and that you are with us this morning. Uh, Pastor Matt's going to be hosting uh, a small group leaders training as we move towards the fall. you get to hear a little bit more about that. Um, We have some exciting things as we prepare for our fall sermon alignment series through Colossians. We're going to encourage everybody at Springbrook to jump into a small group. Small groups are where we do Bible study. There where relationships are formed, where we get to use our spiritual gifts and sharpen one another. It's where the fellowship and the one another's of ministry really get to be experienced. And so I want to encourage you to jump into a small group. Uh, we've got different types of groups. If you can't find one that, uh, that seems like it's a good fit for you, then maybe God's prompting you to host your own small group. And so Pastor Matt uh, has got some training coming up. We'll equip you. We'll give you the materials for it. Uh, but, uh, but let us know how we can help you be able to experience the joy of what it means to be connected um, together. We are coming to uh, the end of our series through Hebrews. And uh, we have two chapters left, so we have three more weeks, uh, including this week. Uh, Hebrews has charted a journey for us of what it means to understand Jesus Christ and his supremacy in our lives in the body of Christ. It encourages us to live by faith. And it also warns us about some of the pitfalls of looking to others or to ourselves or events in our lives. We need to keep our eyes focused on Christ. We started this series beginning in Hebrews. We've worked our way through to chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 5, the writer is saying, look, we have much to say about the supremacy of Jesus. It's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. And there's a warning at the beginning of Hebrews to make sure that we're paying attention to what's being read. I had a pastor friend of mine that said he taught on the Great Commission from Matthew 28. He taught it for several weeks in a row. And he kept teaching it every week. It was the same sermon, the same sermon. And one Sunday, somebody came up to him and said, why are you teaching the same sermon over and over and over? He said, well, I'll stop teaching it when people start getting it and doing it. You know, there's a sense that, well, we've heard that before. There's a sense that we can become complacent in our faith. We need to take seriously God's commands. and We need to take seriously what it means to be a part of his plan for reaching our community for Christ and for making disciples... In Hebrews 6, he encourages us not to be sluggish, but to be imitators of those who through faith and practice inherit those promise, promises. And so we're to be imitators of those that have gone before us. And as we evaluate our lives against the disciples, against those early believers that we find in Scripture, there's, there's a tension there between how we're living out our life and what we find in Scripture. We're to be imitators of what we find in Scripture. It's to encourage us, to, to live in a way that they lived, but it's also a challenge for us and a warning not to be sluggish. Don't neglect meeting together some are in the habit of doing. We're to encourage one another as we gather together. This is important. Coming together in this fashion is an important part of who we're called to be as a part of the body of Christ. But we're also called not only to meet together in the temple courts like this, but to break bread and to meet with one another in our homes as we devote ourselves to the disciples' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It's important that Christians come together To encourage one another. And then last week we talked about the importance of uh, laying aside every weight and sin. Let us run with endurance because of this great cloud of witnesses that is gathered together in heaven. And those great clouds of witnesses up in heaven, they're not looking down, cheering us on. There is nobody in heaven that is looking down on us. They are completely, wholeheartedly captivated by the glory and presence of God. There is nothing missing in their life. Everything that they need is being fulfilled there. They're not missing anybody. We miss people when they go to be with the Lord, but they are not missing us. They are in God's presence. And this great cloud of witnesses that we have that are in the cloud have, are witnesses to us in a sense that they've given us an example to follow. That's what we saw last week. We're not surrounded by those that are cheering us on. They're in God's presence now, and they're an example for us to follow. As we come to uh, chapter 12, verse 3 this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, verses 3 through 17. And so if you brought a Bible, you can uh, uh, take that out and read along with me. We're in Hebrews 12. If you're watching online, uh, there's a Bible uh, app link down there. You can open that up on your screen, or you can just listen along as I read. From Hebrews chapter 12, we're in verses 3 through 17 this morning. The author says this, We are to consider Jesus. Consider him who endured from sinners such a hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord's discipline, he disciplines those that he loves, and he chastises every son who he receives. For it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without disciplining, in which we have all participated, then you are illegitimate. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who have disciplined us, and we respected them. I want to stop there for a second because when we think about how your father disciplined you, not all of us have had favorable experiences about that. Some of us have had bad models of discipline. So this idea of discipline is what we're looking at today. And it's important to understand that regardless of what your experience was, God's discipline for us is healthy. So many times we associate discipline with what we've experienced in our lives. But God's discipline is always for our benefit. He disciplines us because he loves us. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. Our fathers did the best they can as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but it later yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight your paths of your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and it may become defiled. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he was found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. And so this passage that we're in this morning uh, is talking about the discipline of the Lord and the fact that it's healthy for us. And so we're going to look this morning at at two realities of discipline, and then we're going to look at some benefits. But beginning in verse uh, 3 and 4, it says this, Consider him... Who endured from sinners the hostility against himself, so that you might not grow weary or faint hearted? Consider for a moment Jesus. Consider for a moment Jesus, Him who endured for sinners that hostility. He endured the hostility that we deserved. Through His death on the cross, He took on the penalty of our sin. He endured from us. The hostility that is due, he was punished on our behalf. And here's the reality. The world is fallen and broken. It is messed up. All the problems that we have, all the problems that we encounter, everything that, we're, that is a problem for us right now is a result of sin that has entered into the world. And that sin is what separates us from God. And so God is constantly trying to pull us from that and discipline us so that we can move away from this world and that type of lifestyle. We all struggle with sin. If you don't struggle with sin, then that means you are simply ignoring it or you have learned to live with it. Every one of us have a struggle against sin, but you have not had to resist that sin to the point of shedding your own blood. In 1 John chapter 3, John is writing about what it means to be a child of God. He says this in chapter 3, verse 1. See how much the Father loves you. He loves you in the sense that he sent his one and only Son. The love that the Father has given to us, we find in Christ that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us, the reason why the world does not in fellowship with us, the reason we're not in relationship with most of the people in our community and around there." is because they don't know him. What binds us together and what draws us together is our identity in Christ and those that don't know us, that don't share that, it's because they don't have a relationship with him. They don't know him. Beloved, we are God's children now and and what we will have has not yet appeared to us. There's going to be a point when Christ returns. We're going to get new bodies. We're going to spend eternity with him in heaven. And, and so what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he does appear, verse uh, 2, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself and is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there's no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him nor knows him. And so we have this sin problem, but when we're confronted with it, there's a, there's a lifestyle change. We need to repent from it, and we need to change our behavior. See, being confronted with sin and being disciplined means that there's a resulting change in our life. We don't just get to confess the same sin over and over and over and over. When we're disciplined and sin's brought to our attention, there should be some kind of a change in our lives. And that change creates a struggle for us. We have one foot in this world. We have one foot in heaven, and there's a struggle as God tries to work his plan out for us in our lives. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And when you hold this book up, and when you evaluate your life, or when I evaluate my life, based on what I find in here, there is a disconnect. There is a struggle. We are not perfect. Jesus was perfect. We are striving to become like Christ. We're to be imitators in the sense that we're, there's, we're constantly being transformed. Romans 12, we're constantly being transformed by the renewing of our mind as we study and apply God's work to our life. And it results in changes, and it creates a struggle for us. The struggle is real, and the struggle is against sin as a result of the fact that we have one foot in, here on the earth and one foot in heaven. But here was the good news, that even though we struggle with that, Christ took that on himself. Consider him who endured on our behalf that hostility that was due to us. You see, sin doesn't have to be a problem for us. Christ died for it. And as we live out God's life and we become more Christ-like, we start moving towards righteousness. But if we keep on sinning, then Christ has no place in us. The good news is is that Christ took that sin on for us. And so he paid that penalty for us. Now, we can pay the penalty for our sin on our own if we want. You don't need Jesus. The result is, is that you'll have to pay the penalty for your sin on your own. And the penalty for that sin is eternal separation from God. And so apart from Christ, we don't find forgiveness. But the good news is this, that he took our sin on. So if we place our faith in him, if we believe in him, then we experience God's grace and we're saved by God's grace through faith in him. We're letting him take our sin instead of us having to pay the penalty of that sin on our own. That is the good news of the gospel, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But just because Jesus died for our sin, it is through our faith in him that we find the forgiveness. God so loved the world that he sent his son. God, God sent his son to pay for that sin, but it's through faith in him that we find that forgiveness. Our first encouragement from this passage is that to realize that our struggle with sin is a problem. That's a reality that we all have to face. Our struggle with sin is the problem, but Jesus has taken that on himself. That's a reality for us. The second reality that we saw from those passages was that through Jesus we are treated as children of God. Because of Jesus we are considered his children. In verses five and six, have you not forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary with or by his reproof, for the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he chastises those whom he receives. You see, God loves us through our relationship with Christ, we find forgiveness, and then He disciplines us as He conforms us into the image of His Son. And many times we forget about that hope that we have. We forget about the importance of living through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we, we can forget, and we're, we're prone to wander. Solomon is writing here this is a quote from Proverbs uh, chapter 3 in verse 11 and 12, where, he, where it says, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. He's disciplining you because you are his child. God cares about those that he disciplines and we're not to lose heart as a result of being disciplined because God does discipline those he loves just like kids are disciplined by their father. And that's the point of those first six verses was that God is disciplining us because he loves us. You know, I was at the park last week with my grandson, He was running around with kids. He's three years old. And first two years of his life, he was locked up in the house because of of COVID. And so our kids today are trying to learn new social skills. They, They haven't been socialized. And so you have to teach kids socialization anyway. But there's been a challenge, especially for parents these last several years, as we've navigated what it means to be together. But we were with him at the park, and so he was running around three years old, and, and he kept running up to kids and grabbing them. He just loves kids, but not everybody wants to be grabbed. <laughs> and then they start throwing, and they're pushing stuff. And so I had to come alongside him, and I said, hey, look, you need to stop that. If you don't stop pushing kids and getting close to kids like that, they're not going to want to be with you. And so I had to discipline him. And so then he said to me, no. And so then we got into this conversation of don't do that, no. And then we got into this conversation about why it's important for you not to talk to your adults like that, your mom and dad and your grandparents, we love you and, and we're telling you these things for your benefit. Now, the three year old's like, yeah, that, that's not sinking in. And so at some point, you have to say, if you don't stop, I'm going to sit you in this corner and you're not going to be able to play with the kids. At some point, we have to, the discipline needs to, to ratchet up based on the response, right? I have, there's not a day my mom went to be with the Lord over five years ago, and as I've gotten older, I have, I have appreciated her more every year that goes by. I was an active kid and I I grew up getting spanked. And I know with parents, sometimes people paint some, some don't. So I know people are all over the board on that. There was a, another story, quick one. Uh, There's a kid playing out in the street. His mom calls him, come in it's time for dinner, Tommy. So Tommy keeps riding his bike and the neighbor's watching. And so she reaches out again, Tommy, come in the second time. The neighbor's watching that again, and she reaches out and she leans out the. Tommy, I said, get in this house. And the neighbor said, Man, you better go in there before you get in trouble. Tommy said to the neighbor, No, she'll see it two more times before I really get in trouble. (laughs) Sometimes kids need our attention. (laughs) We are we are conditioning our children to respond to discipline, and my mom was a disciplinarian. You know what? I got it one time. If she had to say it twice, I was in trouble. I learned that. And there wasn't one time in my life that I didn't get in trouble that I didn't realize I deserved it. My mom loved me. She cared about me. I love my son, my grandson Ezra. I care about him and we discipline. But you know what? I don't discipline any of those other kids on that playground. You know why? I don't care about them. They're not my problem. Those aren't my children. God disciplines those that he loves. And as children of God, we are disciplined. Discipline is correction. It's guidance. It moves us towards maturity. And we're all disciplined. Sometimes discipline is given to instruct or or to train. And in in Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We're to discipline and instruct our kids so that they can grow up to be mature, responsible adults. And a lot of the problem that we have with families today has to do with the lack of discipline. We're not disciplined, we're not disciplining our kids, and it becomes a free-for-all. We are to train our kids up in the instruction of the Lord. And then there's moral discipline to correct and to show disapproval and guidance. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training, for disciplining in righteousness that we may be made complete for every good work that God has for us. And sometimes discipline does mean to punish Pilate says this about Jesus, you know, um, Pilate says, I didn't find anything in him and neither did Herod for he sent him back to me. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Therefore, I'm going to punish him. I'm going to discipline him and then release him. And so sometimes discipline is punishment. There's a variety of different forms of discipline. Hebrews 12:11 says in the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than discipline. You know, it seems painful instead of pleasant. Nobody likes to be corrected. Nobody likes to be told that they're wrong. But the reality is, is that if we're not, we're missing out potentially on what God has for us. All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields to the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. All discipline, even though we don't like it, it's good for us. And so regardless of the trouble that's going on in our lives, sometimes we bring trouble on ourselves because of our own behavior. Sometimes God allows trouble or brings trouble into our life to discipline us because we need to be corrected. There's every different possible com- combination of why we're experiencing trouble. But the reality is, is that discipline, in the end, is going to grow us in our faith. The result of these two realities is that we, we know... Our struggle is against sin, but we know Jesus has taken them on. But then we also know through Jesus we're treated as children by God. Those are the two realities of discipline and why we face the difficulties that we do. And here's my favorite part. This is my favorite part. We're moving into verse 14, and you know what to do. Verse 14 says this, Therefore, yeah, therefore. Therefore, as a result of these two realities, God loves you. Jesus took on your sin. God loves you and disciplines you. And so as a result of your being disciplined, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weakness. Make straight your paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Isn't that great? We trust Jesus Christ as, as Lord. He's our Lord and Savior. He's died on the cross for our sins. We're disciplined because God loves us. And so as you think about the trials and the tribulations and the discipline that's coming on in your life, it's for your benefit. And as a result of that, you should celebrate. Count it all joy, my friends, for the trials and tribulations that you face. In Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus gives us the Great Commission, he says, Therefore, Go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey, and I'll be with you to the very end of the age. That is the Great Commission. That has formed the foundation of our ministry. Every Christian church will tell you that the Great Commission is why they exist. We exist to go, evangelize, help people understand their need for a relationship with Christ. We want to baptize them into the fellowship, into the body of Christ, and we want to teach them to obey. That Great Commission guides the church. Well, this sentence, this way that this is structured, it's the same construction that you find in Matthew 28. It's the same use of verbs. It's the same sense of intensity. Instead of it being the great commission for the church, this should be the great commission for each one of us. These are great verses to memorize. This should guide our lives. As a result of who we are in Christ, this is how we are to live. It's important You know, we need to celebrate who we are in Christ, no matter what's happening in our lives. We know that God is working it together for our good. Now, that's something that can be difficult to hear in the moment. It can be painful, and sometimes that's not the right timing for when we need to hear that. But as we look back on our lives, as I look back on my life, I can see all the things that I've been through that I thought were a struggle at that time and how God used those to accomplish his purposes in my life. Discipline is never pleasant in the moment. It's only when we look back and see how God's used it that we're able to really enjoy the fullness of what it means to celebrate. But as a result of God's love for us, as a result of what Christ has done for us, we are to celebrate by, by lifting our drooping hands. Lift your drooping hands. Strengthen the path of your feet and strive for peace and holiness. That's the result. That's the therefore of what we have in Christ. And so these are three good things for us to work towards. I would encourage you, memorize those, those three verses. Those are great verses to live by. There are our, our personal great commission as we think about who we are in Christ. Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. You know, there are a lot of Christians that go through life oh, like this. They're just, no, woe was me. You know, if you are in Christ... No matter what's going on in your life, there is something for you to celebrate. You know, no matter how bad this world is, we know where we're going to spend eternity. I've got maybe 70, 80 years, Psalm 90, 10. I forgot to look up the number. I got to, I'm tracking that. I think I've got like 6,000 days left. My dad just turned 83, and so he and I are joking about, hey, you're on time. <laughs> How many years do you plan on living on this earth? 70, 80, 90, 100. I made a joke with somebody the other day. If I make it to 120. I'm 60 now. I'm halfway over the hill. I, I just don't want to be over the hill. I told my dad, you, you're halfway over the hill. He said, yeah, I live to be 160. I said, ah, you're over the hill. There's nothing that's happening in our life that should rob us of the joy of who we are in Christ that should rob us of the reality that when we stand before our Heavenly Father or when Christ returns at any moment, we are going to spend eternity in the most perfect place that there is. Think about your best day here on earth. Maybe you're on the Caribbean floating on a, on a, on a raft or maybe you're with your family or what's your best day here on earth? Heaven is incomparably better. Better. That's why that great cloud of witnesses up in heaven, they're not looking down. There's nothing down here that they miss. They are in the presence of God. We did a series on Revelation. If you didn't have a chance to hear that, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. That throne room of God, it's awesome. And that's the assurance of where we're going to spend eternity. And so no matter what's going on in my life, I know it's temporary. I know I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. As a result, I can celebrate Lift up your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees. And this is not anything that you can do in your own strength. The idea that you can pull yourself up by the bootstraps and push your way through it, that's not biblical. That's not how that works. This is not based on anything that we can do on our own. It's because of who we are in Christ, because the Holy Spirit is in us, because the Holy Spirit gives us the power to live out the Christian life that we can do these things. And so if you are secure in who you are in Christ and you have the Holy Spirit in you, then you can say, no matter what's happening in my life, I know where I'm going to spend eternity and I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to lift my drooping hands. I'm going to strengthen my weak knees and I'm going to make straight those paths. Make straight the paths for your feet. You know, Psalm 119 uh, verse 105 talks about the fact that God's word is a lamp into our feet. It lights our path. And so when I study Scripture, when I meditate on Scripture, when I read God's words, when the Holy Spirit fills me, my path is lightened, my path is made clear. Make straight the path of your feet. There, are, There is sin that, in Hebrews 12, when we opened up Hebrews 12, we talked about sin that so easily entangles us. We're constantly getting tripped up. By stuff around us. It's like when you walk in your kid's bedroom at night and there's toys all over the floor and you're stepping on your kid's toys. Where Last night I got up to go to the bathroom and the poor dog was laying there. I tripped over the dog. We, we've got things in our life, and our pathway. We have sin that easily entangles us. And when we read God's word and we apply it and we evaluate ourselves based on that standard and we remove those barriers, when we make our path straight, it's then that we're able to experience the fullness of what God has for us. Make straight your path so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. You know, what distracts you? What circumstances are going on in your life right now that are preventing you from experiencing the joy of who we are in Christ? Everything that's happening in our life right now is temporary. And so the writer, Paul, is reminding us, to to celebrate who we are in Christ, to make straight our paths, to to be in God's word. And then he says, strive to live in peace with everyone. Strive to live in peace with everyone and for the holiness of which no one is going to see the Lord. We're to strive for peace and for holiness. Be a peacemaker. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul describes what it means to be a peacemaker. It's, It's not seeking my advantage but putting before myself others as a priority as it relates to Christ. Paul becomes whatever he needs to be in order that he might win some. Being a peacemaker is stepping into it and, and bringing God into the picture. We did a series, it was almost exactly two years ago, called Being a Peacemaker. And so if you weren't here with us, you can go back, you can listen to those online, view past uh, some of these past services. We did a whole 10-week series on what it means to be a peacemaker. But the reality of being a peacemaker is, is putting the interest of others ahead of our own as a result of who we are in Christ and with the opportunity to share the love of Christ with them. We, they get to see Christ in us. They get to see that holiness in you. Not your holiness, not your own righteousness, but Christ in you. Without that, no one will see the Lord. So let others see Christ in you as you work to be a peacemaker in the lives of people around you. So if you, I would encourage you, check out that, uh, uh, that series. Of, you can find that. But um, work to be a peacemaker. See to it that no one fails to obtain that grace of God. We want to be peacemakers. We want to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to see the grace of God in us in their own lives. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. That's the hope that we have in ourselves. And, and we want other people to see that so they might obtain that grace just like we have. We're to to see to it. No one fails to hear an opportunity about Christ. We want to share Christ with others. You know, Colossians 3 talks about that as as children of God. Colossians 3, uh, 13 says this. As children of God, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with hearts of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive any complaint that you might have against someone else. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. We're to let others see that in us that they might experience that grace. Don't let any root of bitterness raise up in you that'll spring up in you that's going to cause trouble and by it many will become defiled. And he says, see to it that no one is sexually immoral. And I'm just going to park that one there because I can see all kinds of stuff about that. You know, the bottom line is this. Here is the, here's the bottom line. God has a plan for us. We find it in scripture. And then the world has a plan for us as well. You know, sexual immorality is the anything that works against the standards that God has given us. In the world we find all kinds of ideas about what sexual immorality is and isn't. When we look to scripture we find something completely different. And each of us gets to pick which one of those we're going to live by? And as for me in my house, we're going to serve the Lord. The Bible talks with clearly about the relationships, how we relate to each other as men and women, as husbands and wives, and so. And, and every and it's not and, and we can all think of an example of what sexual immorality is. But for for guys, it's, if you're not guarding your eyes, that's sexual immorality. That plays itself out in a variety of different ways. And, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that, but we need to know that God's word is the standard for us. And then make sure no one's sexually immoral or unholy. See, it's really easy to pick up on this sexual immorality piece of this, but what does it mean to be unholy? Being unholy is anything that we put in our lives before God. And so sexual immorality and unholiness are both equally bad. We need to confront each other. We need to be encouraging each other not to live that life. We need to experience discipline if that's an area of our life that needs to be challenged. Anything that we put before God makes us unholy. And then we get the example of Esau. Esau chose the circumstance of his being hungry over his God-given birthright. In Genesis chapter 25, um, it talks about the brothers Jacob and Esau when they had grown older. Um, Esau was a skillful hunter. He was a man of the field while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he hated the game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And so there's some division in his family right off the bat. In verse 29 of chapter 25, it says, When Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field. He was exhausted. Are you feeling exhausted by the circumstances of your life? You know, we get exhausted. And and, and Esau was exhausted. And he said to Jacob, let me eat some of that stew for I am exhausted. His circumstance was such that he, he gave up his birthright because of a circumstance. He said in verse 31, Jacob said to him, sell me your birthright. Esau said, I am about to die. My concern over my imminent death is more important than where I'm going to spend eternity. We can't let our circumstances rob us of the joy for what's set before us, like Esau did. And why Paul is using it as an example in our passage in Hebrew. In Hebrews, Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is my birthright? What years is my birthright because I'm hungry now? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob and Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. That birthright was everything. That was everything that was gonna be passed down. That was his inheritance. That was his identity as an Israelite, as, as a part of God's family. He gave up everything because he was hungry. We cannot let the circumstances of our life rob us from the joy that is set before us. Esau chose the circumstances of of his hunger. And then in verse 17, it said that you know that afterwards, after he did that, he realized he messed up. He desired to inherit that blessing, but he was rejected. Sorry, you gave that up. He wanted it back. He was rejected. He found no chance to repent. He couldn't get it back, though he sought it with tears. Oh my Lord, what have I done? Sorry, it is too late. You know, it is intentional that the author is putting this story in this part of the passage. There's going to be a point in time when it's too late for us To repent for our sin. Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sin, verses three through five. That's the reality that we celebrate. That God took on our sin. He stood in our place. And there's going to be a time where it's too late to accept that and to understand it fully. And the author is closing this passage to make this point. Jesus came the first time to seek and save that which was lost. He's coming back again to judge the living and the dead. In Matthew 7:21. there's going to be a time when he does return that everyone's going to say to him, some are going to say to him, Lord, Lord, will we enter the kingdom of heaven? But the one who, only the one who does the will of the Father is going to be there. There's going to be people that are calling on the name of the Lord. that they think they're saved because they went to church. They're counting on their good works. They're trying to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. And they, they haven't fully understood their need for a relationship with Christ. They haven't identified with him. And they're not living out the therefores. And it's going to be too late. Not everyone who says or calls on his name is going to enter. Only those who do the will of my Father. Bill Fasher wrote a book called... Uh, Finding and Knowing God's Will for Your Life. It's a great read. Bill Thrasher, Finding and Knowing God's Will for His Life. In this big book, you read through the book, and you know what the conclusion is at the end? We all know what God's will is for us. We know what we're supposed to be doing. You know, we can read through this book, and we, can, you know, we know what we need to do. What's missing is the faith to do it. The trust in God to do it. We need to put the therefores in place in our life. You know, if you go to the gym, the trainer is not going to tell you, try harder, think good thoughts. You know, the trainer is going to ask you how, much, how many calories were in that cheeseburger you ate last night. There's going to be some accountability. We don't like being asked that question. And then he's going to hear you say, well, you know, you need, to, you need to start working out. You need to do some push-ups. You need to do 20 push-ups. You need to start doing some squats. You need to work out discipline. And the moment is unpleasant, but the outcome is, is what we want to achieve. And in faith, it's the same way. Discipline can be difficult, but the outcome is, is our righteousness that we find in Christ. It's becoming more holy and accomplishing what God's will is for us in our life. And when we live to live out God's will for our lives, it's there that we find hope. Our struggle is with sin. That's the problem. But Jesus has taken that on himself. Through Jesus we're treated as children of God. It's a a gift that we get to be called his children. And as a result we need to lift our hands. We need to strengthen the path of our feet and we need to strive for peace and holiness. Romans 15 says, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace and believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in you. That's my prayer for each of us as we finish up this series as we look to think about what God has for us in our life, that, that there would be an abounding joy in spite of our circumstances that comes about as a result of reminding us where our identity is. That's what Hebrews, the book, is about. It's about the supremacy of Christ and the supremacy of Christ in my life. And that's my prayer for us, is that we would be able to experience the joy in believing, and that the Holy Spirit would fill us as we abound in hope. You know, this upcoming week, I want to encourage you as you think about ways to live this out in your life. If you've got a sin that you're struggling with, confess that to somebody. Find another Christian or somebody else that you can say, hey, look, I, I, need, to, I need to work on this area of my life. Would you pray for me? Maybe you can memorize, you know, Hebrews 12. Maybe you can remember, memorize those passages that talk about how we're supposed to be living our life. This is a great passage to memorize. In fact, I think this is going to be our, our memory verse for July. <laughs> this is July's memory verse. Memorize passages. Let God's word guide your path. You know, I want to encourage you to join our church Bible reading plan. If you have not yet signed up uh, on the YouVersion Bible app, um, Springbrook as uh, a church is on Version right now. We have a Bible reading plan that we're going to be working through on a weekly basis as a church. And so you don't have to commit to it for a year. You can, we'll have some three days, some five days in there. But let's be encouraging one another as we seek to live out our faith. This plan that we've got for next week is about discipline. It's about thinking about why God uses that in our lives. Sometimes discipline is brought to us, and sometimes it's a byproduct as a result of being pruned. And so we're going to have a five-day devotion next week. And so if you're interested in reading along together with others in Springbrook, that's a great way for us to be able to encourage one another. Thank you for being with us this morning. I just pray that God would continue to fill you with his spirit, that we might be able to experience the joy of the life that's been set before us. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you for this day you've given us today. Uh, God, thank you for the hope that is ours in Christ. God, thank you that um, that I have been adopted. God, that I have been considered a part of your family as a result of who I am in Christ. And there's, there's a lot of things that are happening in this world right now. God, I pray that you give us wisdom and clarity as we seek to engage the people around us. God, I pray that the hope that we have in ourselves would be able to be experienced and known by those around us as well. God, thank you for the opportunity we've had to sharpen and encourage one another in our lives. I know that discipline's not always pleasant, um, God, but we know that it's always brought about uh, for your purposes and for, your, um, for our righteousness in you. And so, God, we commit this day to you. We look forward to all that you have for us. We pray sings these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Won't you stand and join us in singing and worship one more time, in body or in spirit?
4: If you have any questions about our relationship with Christ or how we can help you to grow in your faith, uh, please uh, let us know how we can help you do that. And hey, Pastor Matt uh, he has been barbecuing over 500 pounds of barbecue. So if you order barbecue, be sure and pick that up today. I think he's got uh, about 20 extra orders. And so if you didn't order it, you want to get some, jump out there. And then uh, lastly, please be praying for uh, our community, for our nation as we kind of heal and move through the sanctity of life issue that I know that uh, we're all familiar with right now. Um, There's a lot of tensions um, in our relationships and our communication with one another. So be praying for opportunities to be a peacemaker. Hope you have a great day today. May the grace of the Lord and the fellowship of our believers together this morning be an encouragement to you. Go in peace and have a great day. Thanks for being with us.